This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 151. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Sunset Jr. And I'm Chris Fox. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about how to write to market with, not surprisingly, Chris Fox. Chris has been on before, but if you have not caught that episode real briefly, Chris is an incredibly successful author of both fiction and nonfiction. He's a teacher and really he's hit the trifecta. He's succeeded at writing the nonfiction. He's succeeding at teaching fiction. He succeeded at writing nonfiction. And a number of his students have gone in on, uh, gone on to massive success. Wait for it. $50,000 a month. Some of them are making. So Chris, welcome back to the program. Great to have you again. Hey, thanks, guys. It's great to be here. I, I see the real measure is not if somebody has been successful, but if they've been able to train other people uh, to be successful. And so we're really excited to have you. Uh, but before we get to how to write to market, I want to do mention very quickly that it's not too late if you want to sign up for the book launch blueprint with Jim uh and myself and Mary DeMuth. Uh, registration does end at the end of August. So you have about a week, uh, give or take, uh, to sign up for that. And if you're wanting to develop a book launch plan for your books that you can launch with a bang instead of with a sputter, uh, do <laughs> <laughs> come and take that course. You can find out more at novelmarketing.com. Okay. So Chris, let's dive right into this. Um, first of all, the phrase right to market. I think a lot of our listeners know what that mean, but I'm guessing a lot don't know what that mean. And then there's those in the middle are going, I think I know, but I'm not sure. Could you clarify? So what is writing to market? I guess there's probably a lot of different definitions because it goes back so long. Some would argue that you know Shakespeare was writing to market. Um, effectively, the way I define it is if you can picture a Venn diagram, so you've got those two overlapping circles and one of those circles is the thing that you are most passionate about writing. And the other one of those circles is a large, voracious audience. You want to find the intersection between those two. So a good example would be I would really love to, at some point in my career, write a weird Western, which is just going to be a standard Western with some supernatural elements thrown in there. But that has a correspondingly tiny audience. Not a ton of people are into weird Westerns. And if I were to write that, then I probably wouldn't sell a ton of copies simply because there aren't that many readers. Instead, one of my other passions was military science fiction. And so that was the avenue that I chose, knowing that right now, tons and tons of people love military science fiction. This is coming off the back of some great television shows over the last decade, uh, and, and they want more of it. And I know going in that if I write these novels that I'm still enjoying, I'm going to sell a ton of copies. And so that to me is the definition of writing to market, finding that intersection. Okay, so that begs the question that maybe a lot of people are asking who are listening to this podcast right now, and that is, oh my gosh, are you telling me to sell out? Speak to that a little bit. <laughs> this is the number one question that I get. Uh, and I think that if you were <laughs> yeah. stripping away um, the the desire, like if you're saying, okay, I'm going to go ahead and write erotica because I know erotica is going to sell, I, I know some authors that do that, and, and they're not really all that happy because they're not writing something that they're passionate about. And I think that fans can sense that. I think they're going to know if you're sort of phoning it in and writing something you're not interested in. So when someone says selling out, yeah, you have to pick the novel that you really want to do. But odds are good if you're like almost every writer in the world, you're overflowing with ideas. So it's really about looking at your kind of closet of ideas that you've been building up and picking the one that's most marketable. And, you know, to some people, I, I guess maybe that is selling out because you, you are making a choice on what to write based on the market that exists for it. But 
as long as it's something that you love, it's a choice and a sacrifice I'm kind of willing to make. Yeah, I, it's interesting the way you phrased it. I like the way you phrased it because because you described the fact that, oh, I like Westerns, but I also like military sci-fi. And maybe there's two or three other things that you enjoy as well. It's like a, I guess it could be like a chef who enjoys cooking four different dishes. She just loves cooking these four different dishes, but three of them people will buy. And the fourth one, you know, there's just not much of a market. So it almost sounds like just approaching it intelligently and saying, if I have a restaurant and I want to stay in business, these are the dishes I'm going to serve. Exactly. When you get to a point where you're doing this full time, you really need to assess the size of the market because you know this is how you're paying your rent or your mortgage, and and you need to know that there are enough people out there. And you know, burgers are, are more popular than steak for a reason. I mean, it's less expensive, takes less time to prepare, and and is you know kind of easy and more consumable. So I tend to lean towards, for most of my books earlier in my career, the burger side of things and less towards the steak side, knowing that when I'm, I'm a little older, a little more experienced and more of a backlist under my belt, then I can write whatever the heck I want and I can do kind of more, uh, more artsy, more from the heart type novels. But at this stage in my career, it just makes sense to write something I know that more of the market's interested in. That makes me think of, that's really good. It makes me think of the uh, musicians who have done this, right? Where you've seen them come out with three or four massive albums. And then they go, you know what? I got enough money now. I'm, I'm going to do that artsy album that I've always wanted to do. And it doesn't sell as well, but they go into it knowing that in the first place. Um, so Chris, what mistakes do authors make when writing to market? Because you don't want people going, all right, I'm just going to find the hot market and write to it. I'm sure there's pitfalls along the way. What are the mistakes you commonly see them make? The number one mistake, and I see this almost every single time somebody gets into writing to market, is they read something and they want to copy it. So if you realize that Harry Potter is doing tremendously well, you want to write your own magical university um, that's going to be somewhat similar to Harry Potter. And, and people will have a Hagrid-type character and a Dumbledore-type character and a Harry Potter-type character. They're, they're sort of copying what they've already seen when, when you're writing to market what you're really trying to do is capture the same emotional resonance. So you sort of need to figure out why does the audience like Harry Potter? What are they getting out of this? And then it has to be the same, but different. You need to deliver a similar emotional experience where it's a good story and it kind of hits some of the same notes, but it's unique and it's different. And it's not something they've heard because if you try to just knock off something like the Hunger Games or Harry Potter, you're usually going to do it poorly and you know fans are going to sense that and you're going to get slaughtered in your reviews. Yeah, so I think it's important to know why somebody liked Harry Potter. And if because if you don't know why somebody liked Harry Potter, you copy all of the stupid bits, all of the superficial bits and the and the bits that make it sound and feel very derivative and make it feel like a knockoff. Uh, whereas if you do understand why you're able to speak to that same why in your fiction uh, and connect with the audience in a similar way. So, Chris, would you say, uh, I'm just trying to think of examples that most people will know, and what pops into my mind is the Hunger Games trilogy and then the Divergent series, where really you get a very similar, uh, you have a similar type protagonist where it's a strong female coming into her own, um, and yet those stories are do feel unique. They do feel different. Is, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Exactly, exactly. So they're clearly the same genre. You've got roughly the same emotional arc for both of the main characters. Uh, and you can see the similarities. The worlds are both dystopian in their own way, but they are very different also in their own way. Uh, and you notice that it is hitting the same types of emotional highs and lows in both series, but in their own unique spin. So uh, 
let's talk about how to do that. How does somebody write to market? Because uh, okay, you've convinced us this is the way to wealth and fortune. <laughs> right. And We're if sold. I actually want people to buy my books, I need to write books that people want to read. And some it does that doesn't seem like it would be a revolutionary idea, but it it is <laughs> it's revolutionary by just speaking simple truth. So how do you do it? How do you write to market? Well, you start by studying the market, and that means you need to understand what books are selling in that market right now. So not a year ago, not five years ago, but today. What are people reading? And so I will go to the Amazon lists in whatever my target genre is. I'll take a look at what's selling. And and this next part is really shocking to a lot of authors. You actually have to buy the books and read them. (gasps) No. (laughs) What did he just say? What did he just say? (laughs) Can't I just look at the cover and read the little blurb on Amazon? This is something that a lot of authors will do where they'll read the the blurb and they'll kind of see what the genre is and they'll make some assumptions about it and they'll just start writing. What you need to do is immerse yourself in this genre. If you really want to be a successful, let's say, science fiction author, read a bunch of sci-fi, the stuff that is selling today, and you'll start to see why it is selling, why it is popular, and what the kind of emotional responses people are getting. And once you're done with a given book, you can go to the reviews and read the one stars and the five stars, and you'll see this is what the author got right. This is what the author got wrong. And then when you're concocting your own story, you'll sort of know what landmines to avoid. And that's also really good uh, feedback to interact with the readers of that audience. And uh, reviews are probably the easiest way to do it. But listening to them talk to each other or even talking to them yourself and understanding. And I, I would say almost you have to read two books in the market. Uh, because you know what they are doing similar and you know what they're doing different to know what the tropes are, right? If you just watch a TV show and it's the only TV show you've ever seen, you don't know what the trope is uh, or even what a trope is. Whereas once you see, you know, two or three, you know, space shows, you're like, oh, okay, the hotshot pilot is a trope, right? That's, you know, real cocky, you know, space pilot, you know, and you can make the decision whether or not you want to include that trope in your book. I would say a bare minimum of three books because you do want to be able to make those comparisons. And and if you really want to do this right, the people that I know that are doing it, they're reading 10 or 15 or 20 books because you you really want to understand the length and breadth of your genre. So, you know, you're you're not doing the same thing other people are doing, but are still hitting the same right emotional highs that they're doing. Yeah, I know authors who are terrified to read other books because they're afraid their book will become derivative. (laughs) And and it's like, but you realize that that is exactly what may be all you need for your book to become more successful. Well, and if you don't, if you don't read the book, it is going to potentially become derivative because <laughs> you don't know. Right. You have just as much chance at that point because many of us are drawing from the same sources. So you've seen all the same movies as the people who are writing books now. And odds are good that a lot of the books that are being produced are being influenced by the the culture that we've all consumed over, like, let's say, the last 20 or 30 years. So if you're not reading other people's books, there's just as much chance that you are going to be derivative as, as not. Right. One of the tropes that I see in a lot of books and movies uh, that's a real pet peeve of mine is torture working. Uh, so I actually researched torture in college and torture leads to people lying to you. So you have somebody on the rack and you're torturing them like, tell us, you know, where the you know hostages are and they'll give you an answer, but it's almost never the correct answer. And uh, that is never portrayed in books because everyone's drawing from the same sources. And, and t- on TV, torture always works, right? When in 24, when he's torturing the terrorist to get the information, that after he does the terrible thing, the terrorist tells him the information that he needs to have. And we're conditioned 
And our whole society now thinks that torture works. And in reality, the Nazis studied this and published their research on torture. And if the Nazis couldn't make torture work, torture doesn't work. <laughs> so, all right, rant over. All right. <laughs> uh, but, but you're exactly right in that people aren't researching the actual topic very often. And occasionally I'll come across an author where they're torturing and the person being tortured is lying and giving them bad information. And it's like this breath of fresh air. I'm like, thank you. Uh, but <laughs> usually that's not the case because like, oh, I'm going to read a bunch of other books and see what a bunch of other authors did. And you have this. And, and I feel like it, it's doing something bad to us as a society because we're lying to ourselves and not even realizing it. Okay. Now my rant is really over. Um, <laughs> one of the, so, uh, back to your book. You talk about hot categories and hungry categories. Can you um, walk us through what those are and why they're important to understand? Sure. Um, so a hungry category, it just means that they're reading a lot of books. Uh, a hot category is typically a more saturated version of that. So when you're sort of zeroing in on a category, you kind of have two choices. You can pick a smaller niche that is not currently flooded with content, but maybe has fewer readers. So, you know, you it's lower hanging fruit and you have more of a chance to get noticed in a category like that. Uh, whereas you could go with something that's really, really hot, like military science fiction is a great example. Tons and tons of people are writing it. It's very, very difficult to break into the top 100. But if you do, you are absolutely going to have a five-figure month on that launch. So you, you kind of have to pick what your risk tolerance is and decide what you want to do. Do you want to do something with a lower readership, like let's say steampunk? where you know, you're probably going to stand out. You won't have much trouble getting your book on the front page. But even if it's really successful, you might only see, let's say, a mid-four-figure month versus that that five-figure month you would have had on military science fiction. So, do you, so, Chris, do you recommend people go for singles and home runs at the same time where you're maybe working in, in categories at the same time? I, I try to, to double down in one existing category. The problem that I've run into with my own personal career is that I keep switching gears and going from genre to genre. And every time I do that, I sacrifice a ton of momentum. So probably the smartest thing you can do is just to pick one and drill down as deep as you can into that, you know, make a long series of books that people are interested in uh, and, and, you know, ride that kind of all the way to a successful six-figure income. Well, that was going to be my next question was was switching genres, right? I've always been an advocate of, man, you 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 write science fiction, it's going to be a big leap to get into uh, romantic suspense. Um Talk to us a little bit about that, a little bit more about that. If they're adjacent genres, like let's say um, fantasy and science fiction, any of those flavors, then typically I advise people to do it under the same pen name. Otherwise, if you were going to do romantic suspense and then your other pen name was something completely different, like um, you know hard sci-fi, then I probably would use a pen name to do that romantic suspense. And it's fine that you're writing in both genres, but you want to be careful that you're not getting a lot of bleed between those, those audiences because they are very separate. And it's important when writing to market that you kind of drill down into your perfect readership because that's how Amazon's going to go out and find you more readers. If, if you can tell them this type of person really loves this book, they're happy to peddle your book to all sorts of different types of people. But the moment you start mixing in multiple genres, it becomes very difficult for Amazon to do that for you. Yeah, the adjacent, I guess that's the key word to a guy like that I grew up reading a lot of was Orson Scott Card, right? Where he did a lot of fantasy and a lot of sci-fi. So, but again, in my mind, those are very adjacent categories, whereas romantic suspense and hard sci-fi is definitely not. The Amazon algorithm is very smart, but it's also very stupid. <laughs> and so uh, making the job easy for the algorithm makes a lot of sense. But I think that that's to underline is that the cost of switching genres and getting a new pen name is starting over. Uh, you're not bringing your following, you're not bringing your reputation, 
that bringing your readers from the old pen name to the new pen name, uh, you're starting over with a new brand. It's almost like becoming a new author again. You still have your mailing list and you still have all of the knowledge that you've gained, but that's a big like cost. And it makes total sense when you're like, I've lost a lot of momentum. It's like, yeah, it's like starting over <laughs> with your career from scratch. That's, that is a hard, hard thing to do. So what it's sounding like you're saying is that picking a genre uh, is really critical when it comes to the success of your entire career. And so, and how, how does somebody not mess that up? Because it feels like if, if somebody picked a bad genre, they now are, you know, five years from now, they're going to have tough questions. Absolutely. I think they are going to have some very, very tough questions um, about what genre is going to be best. But, but what helps me is that if you mess up, all it's done is slow you down. I've written in three different genres. I have three different readerships. They don't often bleed over. But at the same time, I've got some momentum in each area. I'm still making a great living. So the fastest way to success maybe is doubling down in one genre. But just because you are writing in two or three, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't be successful. It's generally just going to take longer. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, walk us through doing the research. How do I find out how popular a genre is? What's the best way to do that? So again, I would start with Amazon. Amazon is something like 80% of the online book market and growing. Um, so they're, they're a great ecosystem to look at. Um, and they're a meritocracy in that the more books sell, the, the closer to the top that they are. So I go to their top 100 list for my chosen genre, and you can drill down typically into subcategories. So if I'm looking at science fiction, I can drill down into space opera or military science fiction. And I'll go as low as I can into the lowest subcategory that, that Amazon will offer me. And then I just start looking at the covers for the, the top 100 books. And when I find one on the first page, usually the top 20, that interests me, I'll click on it, I'll take a look at the blurb, I'll see what it's about. And then as you're scrolling down the product page, you're going to find about midway down something that shows you the rank of the book. It'll say overall in the Kindle store, and then it'll say what its rank is in, in the best ranking categories that it's in. And I'm looking at that number. And the lower that number is, the hotter that book is. So if you see something that's under 100, it's one of the top 100 books in the world, and is probably selling a minimum of 500 copies a day. And the better that number is, the hotter the category. As you're scrolling through these books, the deeper in you get, let's say you get to page three and you're on book number 58 out of 100. If that book is still in the top 1,000, you're, you're looking at something like romance where this, this is a voracious readership. They're constantly looking for new content and there's, there's endless churn. Whereas if you were looking at a smaller category and you got to book number 58, it was ranked number 25,000 in the store. That's something that's a little bit less competitive and maybe has some room for you to break into. So uh, ultimately, you know, we all want to write for popular genres. Is it, but is it possible that a genre is too hot uh, to get started in and the competition is too fierce? You can, it's definitely a larger risk. So it's always possible to break in, even if you're a brand new author and you're writing in a, a super saturated genre, if you do everything right. But it's way, way harder to do so. So I recommend if you're just starting out and you're writing your first genre and you have to pick between something medium-sized and something large, maybe start out with the medium-sized thing and, and get your feet wet and try writing a book in that genre and sort of see how it does um, and, and then measure your overall success and try moving on rather than jumping into the hottest genre you can find initially. That's good. Okay, so we're, we're nearing the end of the episode, uh, but I want you to give us some quick tips. So for somebody who's wanting to get started in writing for market or who wants to adapt a story they have and they're like, oh, I need to think about the market as I revise this. What are some quick tips you have uh, for that person? I would focus 80% of your efforts on your cover. And even if your book is not written to market, if you can adequately convey to the audience 
what your book is about and what emotional notes it's going to hit based on that cover, that's, that's going to be the vast majority of your success, especially if that cover is viewable as a thumbnail. So if you've got a great, like my first novel was a werewolf on the cover with a pyramid, you can see both the werewolf and the pyramid in the thumbnail image. And that got a ton of people to click on it, even though it wasn't written to market. That's good. Any other quick tips? Um, keep experimenting. If the first thing doesn't work and you try writing to market, don't give up writing to market. Just try to do it better next time. Excellent. Okay. So final question. I think you're going to like this one. Why should people buy your book right to market? <laughs> because it's going to give you a new perspective if you're not familiar with writing to market. And even if you don't want to write to market yourself, understanding how it works is going to help you to market to your audience, whatever it is that you actually are writing. The book is short. It's maybe 20,000 words long. You can read it in an hour and a half, and hopefully it's going to change your view of the market enough so that you can kind of make a living at this in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's one thing I appreciate about your books. Uh, since you're writing them uh, to be sold online primarily, you don't have that expectation that all nonfiction books have to be the same width. So almost all nonfiction books are 200 pages, whether they have 200 pages of content or not. And your page, your books are exactly the length they need to be to communicate the topic, which um, I really appreciate. <laughs> they're uh, they're not fluff free, but they're nearly fluff free. And uh, what what little fluff there is does uh, add to that. You know, helps make it more digestible. So I really do enjoy enjoy your books. And uh, where can people find out more about you and your other books? Uh, everything about me, my YouTube channel, videos for writers, and my books are available at chrisfoxwrites.com. All right. And we will have links to both the book, Write to Market, and chrisfoxwrites.com in the show notes. And we have a featured patron. Our featured patron is uh, Danny R. Smith. Jim? So Danny R. Smith, he's actually a retired homicide detective from the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. So I love this. This is a guy that's actually lived this stuff, and now he's writing, uh, writing about it. And his book is called The good bunch of men. So here's the pitch. Dead prostitutes can seem like part of the landscape in South Los Angeles. What then could render two veteran homicide detectives speechless as they stand over their latest victim? Ooh, he's got me. Thomas right there, Danny's got me. A good bunch of men will take you beyond the yellow tape and into the tormented minds of those who hunt evil. So Danny, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. And if you'd like to become a patron, we have a couple of spots open uh, for folks who want to be patrons and have their uh, book listed on the show. If you don't want to have your book listed on the show, there's much cheaper uh, patron uh, options available, and you can find all of that at novelmarketing.com uh, or at patreon.com forward slash novelmarketing. Uh, Chris, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. You've been listening to James L. Rubart, Thomas Umstead Jr., and special guest Chris Fox on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.